The District 11 Council Office and Montbello Leadership Cabinet present Montbello Speaks. In partnership with Montbello 2020, Golden Age Club, Montbello Walks, and the Colorado Trust Foundation. I'm Stacey Gilmore and I represent District 11. Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning and we are excited to present the first of a speakers bureau that we've been working on in Montbello. It's called the Montbello Leadership Cabinet, a group of residents just like yourselves who have come together to talk about gentrification, involuntary displacement, and just the, the support that you need to make sure that you are able to navigate our quickly growing city. We've got a lot of growth in Denver, and with growth brings changes to the neighborhood, and we just want to make sure that you know how you can age in place, stay in your historic family home, figure out what your next steps are to either transfer that asset to your children, put it into a trust, what estate planning you might want to do. And so we started talking about two years ago, and first and foremost, I want to invite anyone who is either watching this on Channel 8 or here this morning, we need your voice. We need you to be involved in the community telling us what you're seeing, hearing, what's happening, and how we can provide support and resources to you. So that's a very sincere invite to become part of the Montbello Leadership Cabinet. My staff and I are here, and so please reach out to us. And in the council office, when we started talking about affordable housing and financial literacy and empowerment, residents just like yourself said, we're getting a lot of phone calls. We're getting a lot of phone calls. People are mailing things to our home. Sometimes folks are even knocking on our doors saying, we want to buy your home. We want to talk to you about selling your property. We're here to tell you today, make sure before you give anyone information, before you talk to anybody, you need to make sure that one, they're credible, and two, that you know what that next step is for you if you do decide to sell your home. Because the price of homes in Denver has risen so quickly that it's going to be difficult to stay in Denver if you right now are looking at selling your home. So we just want to make sure that you're making good, educated decisions and that we can provide those resources if you need them. And part of that resource is through the district attorney's office. And I'm happy to present, we've got uh, Jane Walsh, she's a deputy district attorney, and her specialty is making sure that she's preventing elder abuse and fraud. And so with that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Jane to talk to you a little bit more about that. And we welcome questions and answers. We want to make sure that this is a speaker series that when it's shown on Channel 8, other folks, when you're asking a question, they can say, that's the question that I wanted to ask. And so please make sure that you're asking those questions. And we want to just make sure that we're preventing you being um, scammed by someone or losing money 
while we're transitioning and growing in the neighborhood. And I want to see every single one of you stay in your home, realize the equity that you've built in that property, and then your children or whatever the next steps for you, you've planned out. And you've got a will, you've got all of that documentation to make sure that you've got a good path forward. And so with that, I'm going to introduce Jane Walsh. Thank you, uh, Councilwoman Gilmore. It's a great pleasure to be here this morning. And there are some faces that I know from coming to Montbello 2020, but there are obviously other people who I haven't met before. So I'm going to start out by just telling you a little bit about the District Attorney's Office and what we're, what we're doing and what we're trying to do and what we need your help with. So a big warm welcome, and I hope that this session is going to be useful both to all of you who've come out on this very cloudy day when perhaps it, it would have felt nice to stay cosy at home, but also other people who are watching on, on Channel 8. I think it's great that we are trying to get the message out because the, the horrific thing is that in my position, I'm seeing more and more crime which is specifically targeting our older generation. And that's the reason that I'm here. That is the number one reason that I'm here because I just have a passion for trying to prosecute that type of crime, but also to get out and to talk to folk and just um, learn a little bit from them about what they're experiencing and also perhaps teach a little bit about what we're seeing um, in, t in our office. So as for me, I've been a lawyer for a very long time. You might hear that I'm from a little bit back east of here. I qualified as an attorney in Scotland, which is where I grew up. And then I moved, worked in England around the London area for about 20 years. Um, then I relocated to Colorado with my husband, who's from here, and my family. And we've lived here for 11 years now. And I've been a DA here during that time, requalified when I arrived here. So I have been a lawyer for a very long time. And I would say that I have seen, over the time that I've been working in this field, I've really seen a surge in crimes, as I said, against um, folk who are older. Now, what's the reason for that? Well, you know, crimes used to be, I guess, something that would be maybe dramatic like a bank robbery, where someone would go hold up a bank and drive off in a getaway car. Now, technology's made that kind of crime really much less popular because you got a bunch of bank clerks who are well-trained, you got surveillance cameras everywhere, you got a rapid response. So that type of crime where you're going to be photographed and you're going to be on a video is, is really less attractive to folks. But what that advance in technology that's kind of helped to reduce that kind of crime has also enabled criminals to do something different. It's enabled them to get into your home every day because people are able to contact you via the internet, via email, via phone. They're able to spoof numbers so that you can't even rely on your caller ID anymore, which used to be something that I guess we would rely on. And what is their goal? Anybody, what is their goal? And we, we do have a microphone, but just raise your hand. What is the goal of those folks who are trying to scam you? Absolutely, every time, that is their their 24-7 goal, and they work, what I want to emphasize is they work really hard to become good at that. And the reason for that is that if they make 
150 calls and they have one call where they're able to get five or ten thousand dollars from a victim then that's very well worthwhile from them and that, that's very low-risk crime it can be conducted from their basically from their home they can sit at home and do that should they choose to do so so low risk and a high reward and not a lot of activity involved in that crime and these scams are very pervasive and they're going to remain very pervasive I think for the near future and they're very difficult for law enforcement to tackle because they don't they cross jurisdictions they don't only cross neighborhood jurisdictions county lines state lines but they they circumnavigate the world. Just speaking to a gentleman here, Nosh, thank you for sharing with me. He said that recently, he's, he's been tracking scams and he said that recently he's um, been involved in tracking scams from Russia, I think, India. Any other locations you, you said? Peru. Peru as well. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be possible for our district attorney's office with the resources we have to extradite people from Peru. Let's be honest. That's not going to happen. We, however, we will and we can extradite folks from other states when, we, when we're able to get a lead and work with detectives to track down an identifiable suspect. But the reason that we're here, the reason that I'm here speaking to you is because if we can't get you justice by prosecuting in that way, what can we do? The best thing that we can do is come out and educate you so that you're, you recognize a scam when you see it. And hearing from Councilwoman Gilmore about gentrification and about this hot housing market and about people getting displaced, I, I am meeting with the Division of Real Estate uh, in the next couple of weeks here to get more of a handle on what they're seeing in, in terms of scams that are occurring. But we have seen them already. So we've seen these um, supposed pieces of legal, legal pad, yellow legal pad with supposed handwritten notes on them or cards asking people to sell their homes. I'm really interested to ask you guys to, if you can give me a show of hands whether anyone has had an approach on the phone or by mail to sell their house. Wow. Wow. And could, could I just ask, sir, you're the closest, could I ask you to tell us a little bit about that, if I could hand you the microphone, just what that looked like so that the other people, the minority who haven't had it, could, could learn about it from you? <clears throat> well, basically, uh, it's an invasion of uh, our home by mail, email, phone, and uh, they, they seem to want to encourage you quickly to sell, to sell your home, uh, saying they can do it very quickly, they have cash in hand. Yeah. Uh, and they have telephone numbers. They have uh, te telephone numbers. Is that okay? Sorry. Uh, they have uh, uh, the ability to uh, continually call by telephone. And you know we don't answer our phone at home anymore. We we don't recognize the number. We don't we don't pick up the phone. And we figure if it's if it's valid, they'll leave a message, but they never do. So yeah. that's that's been our experience primarily. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate you sharing that. Does that, does that sound similar for other folks that they're being, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of nodding heads. So people are being told, okay, we can sell, we could buy your house real quick. We have cash in hand. Um, we could do this very quickly. It would be advantageous. Maybe I'm just wondering if people are being told you could avoid realtor's fees. Anybody being told that? 
Yes, lady at the back. So, you know, that, and that's really important because it, it demonstrates some of the very um, similar features of all types of scams. It's something that they want you to do very quickly. Right, okay. So I have no doubt they know your name. I'm, I have no doubt that people are, thank you for that, are going to the clerk and recorders and they're checking who's the owner of this property before they call. I'm sure they are doing that. So that they are calling and then that kind of familiarity when somebody says your name, if, they, if you pick up the phone and they say your name, you think, well, this is not just a solicitor. This is somebody who's actually calling who must know me and must have some information for me. And sir, you have a point here. Can I ask, I'm not sure if we can use this microphone behind the speakers. Can you stand and come forward? Thank you, sir. I just want to say that uh, there are the, the scammers in the flippers, they actually can buy data lists yes. to find out if you're 30 days late or 60 days late yeah. and cater their message directly to you. They know how much income you make and they know how much you own the property. So it's, it's a targeted niche. Sure. So it's not something in general. So I've seen it over and over again. Thank you. Yeah. And is there, thank you sir, is there anyone here who really says my life is being made a misery because I cannot get rid of these people looking to purchase my property? Yes, ma'am, you are. The lady at the back, you were having a, a terrible time with that. Is that via phone or is that, or, or people turning up or cards, mailing, how is it coming to you? Really? Oh my goodness. And then it's on the email, and then I'm bombarded with mail in my mailbox. I've had a few people show up at the door. So right. Yeah, it's okay, right. So and um, I'm seeing other people saying the same. So you get, and it seems like it's from different folks. It's not even from the same people. You're getting targeted by a bunch of different people. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. And so has anybody tried any measures with uh, law enforcement to, to stop this harassment? Um, Ma'am, you have. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Um, to keep it on a positive side, um, I've had the um, police chief and other members of the district attorney's office just tell me that either that there's not enough proof, there's, they don't have enough to prosecute. A lot of times they don't even know where it's coming from to be able to stop it. And, you know, I think it's just, it's, it's out of control. And, you know, just like um, she said, there, I don't even think there is any way to stop it. And then on top of that, if they can stop it, then they can't prosecute because they can't find out who actually did it. Yes, sir, something to add over here. I think everyone in this room understand what the issue is, what the problem is. What I'd like to know, what are the deterrents? And what, you, we, we understand your shortcomings, but what are the possible deterrents for these, these crimes? And when you do get someone, what happens to them? Are they sent off to a nice, rosy place in the mountains to spend the time that you've prosecuted them for? Or are they treated just like common criminals that they are? 
So I think these, uh, that's a great question. And I think that, I hope that we're going to answer some of those questions as we kind of go through this presentation this morning. I think for this low-level harassment, uh, the intense scam calls and the, the, the mailings, etc., it's correct. What law enforcement, I think, um, has no answer unless they can find an identifiable suspect. And you know that that you, if you have hundreds and thousands of people looking for money, that's just a very difficult thing to do. And it's all very well, you know, us saying preventative, but we can't. You know, we're not necessarily going to be able to stop your phone ringing at 7 a.m. in the morning. It's a it's a horrible side effect of what we're experiencing here in town. Um, but I would say that you know when when we are able to prosecute, we. Uh, we prosecute people to the fullest extent possible, so, and we work with the victims. So um, I have prosecuted phone scammers, and I am currently prosecuting a phone scammer. So I can't talk about the case that I am currently prosecuting, but I can talk a little bit about the, the uh, cases that I have prosecuted, if that's of interest to folks to know about that. But I will say, and I think I may have said this at Montbello 2020, that it is a little bit like catching a unicorn because it has to be a phone scammer who's, who's stupid enough, may I, if I can use that word, to, um, to give some details that are going to be identifiable to law enforcement. But on both occasions, um, we did extradite that individual. It was different, different people, a man and a woman extradited them. Both, they were both from Florida and they came to Colorado and they were charged with felony crimes as a result of that. So if we can find a case and we can hold someone accountable, but that is really, it is a drop in the, in the bucket. I, and I think people, that, you know, everyone who's here is nodding and is well aware that this information is, is fraudulent. Right. What, I, what I'm concerned about and what I appreciate is that all of you have a lot of contacts and you have contacts with people who are, who are maybe older and more vulnerable than you guys are. And so I think that that's really important because it's those folks who will get taken. Hopefully it's none of you who are here today, although I never know. I think I could get taken. I think any of us can get taken. But I think that, that uh, there are some people who are more vulnerable to being taken. And I think it's those neighbors, it's those members of the community that, that we really need to protect. So ma'am, you, you had a question. Yes. I have a no call number that yeah. you can call and you can block your number and I call them once you get your number on there it's on there and they told me if you get the number the people that's calling the same time all the time you get their number and turn it over to them and then they can do something about it and that's a great idea if that if your no call service is or your carrier is offering to block a block that number is is always a good idea but when i say if i say block numbers people say well the number always changes and i say yeah it does um, but correct if your carrier is offering to take some action then they're in the best position to do that that's a very it's a very wise piece of advice thank you very much for that so i want to start sir if i may just add to the comments that you I think it's on. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I, I want everybody to know that besides the DA's office, there are several agencies that are working very hard 
in cooperation with governments. The U.S. government is working with foreign governments, and I can quote a case for you where they arrested 150 people and they had a pocket full of $205 million they had scammed. And that was from all over the world, not just the United States. So I, I, I just want to reassure people that nobody's sitting around doing nothing. Something is being done, but it's a very difficult situation. Thank That's you. Thank you very much. That's correct. And yes, I think every time a, a call center is taken down that we should, we should all be rejoicing. And, and we do actually notice a decrease in the number of, of calls that we receive and complaints when that happens. So it's really significant. So often people say to me, well, I don't really think that I have um, anything worth stealing. So I want to just go through the, the reasons. And, and this, this is really true. People say that to me all the time. I, I don't think I really possess something that a thief would go after, so I don't really feel like I need to worry maybe as much as other people do. And I say, well, you know, you need to be real careful with that because we all have some things that thieves are looking out for and, and would like to steal. And here are some of them. So, of course, you never want to carry around your social security number and um, the Medicare cards that are being issued have, as, you, as I'm sure many of you know, been preceded by scam calls with people calling and saying, you know, you're going to be issued your new Medicare card, just give me your details to verify this. So don't, obviously don't fall for that one. Your date of birth is just such an important, important, critical um, factor that I, I am really reluctant to give that out. You know, if your name is, is not a very uncommon name, then there are many other people in the state and in the country with the same name as you. When you give that date of birth, that's a really unique identifier to people. That is part of the information that someone's going to want if they want to steal your identity. Your driver's license number also, and your medical insurance. We have seen um, definitely cases of medical insurance fraud where people are, uh, who, do, who haven't got their own medical insurance are using someone else's details. And that can often be someone that they know. It can, sometimes, unfortunately, that's a family member. Car insurance, again, we would see that very frequently. Your, your credit history is obviously a really important asset to you, and that's what disappears if you're if your identity is stolen. Just to give you a, an idea of this, I worked with a detective in um, Lafayette who told me that her, uh, her identity was stolen. But it was actually before she became a detective. And she said to me, you know, it took seven years before I got everything back together again. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, she is a super organized person. She's on top of everything. And it took her seven years to get her, her credit history and all, her, all of the, the aftermath of that wiped out. So really be really, really careful. If you haven't got scans or photocopies of any cards that you keep in your wallet, it's a great idea to do that. Just make a photocopy and keep that photocopy somewhere safe so that if your purse is stolen and your cards are stolen, you're not scrambling to, to remember, oh, what was in my wallet and which cards have gone? Um, what was in my purse? So that, that piece of paper can give you a piece of paper, peace of mind, maybe. Um, you know, and, and obviously be careful with your passwords and change those regularly and, and use maybe a password keeper system. 
License plates are such a big deal. I, when I started working in Denver, which was January of this year, I was just kind of appalled when I saw, I was seeing the daily reports come in. Okay, these are daily reports for folk who are over 70 or have disabilities. So it's not the whole of the population. But as I look down the reports every day, I'm like, everybody's having their plates stolen. What is going on here? And so seeing that in the older population, that's not, the, the thieves don't know how old the person is whose car they're stealing the plate from. They're going to uh, apartment buildings and they're quickly taking off license plates. I'm sure, um, sir, you're law enforcement. I, do, you, do you find that people target particular types of car or they're using them for, using them in, in thefts later? Sorry to pick on you. Thank you. I think they're getting smarter as far as the type of plates that they're taking. They used to just take any random plate and yeah. put it on a car. Now they're actually trying to match up a truck with another truck, uh, the same type of vehicle color with another vehicle. So yeah. when an officer clears a plate, yeah. they'll come back to the same type of car and same color. So if it's not really paying attention and looking at the year of the car and then the, the numbers that are on the sticker, sometimes it's hard to, to spot it unless the plate has uh, come back stolen already right. and been reported. Being reported as a stolen plate. Right, thank you. And so do you recommend anything um, in terms of, you know, the, I hear that there, the, it's useful to use those bolts that can't be unscrewed because it will slow people down and, and people may, may be deterred from stealing your plates. Do you think that's a useful thing and where can people get that done? Yeah, from time to time the, uh, each district will have a drive. I know in District 5 we'll usually have hours out at Walmart and we'll give, give away free theft prevention screws to anybody that comes by and we'll actually put them on for Fantastic. you. Fantastic, that's so, a, and that's the other a great trick service. That we used to have a long time before the stickers became harder to, to, to peel off. Yeah. We used to tell people, put the sticker on your car, on your plate, and yeah. then take a razor blade and just make some slash marks so people can't just peel it off. But they've right. gotten better with the type of stickers that they're using now at DMV so they don't come off as easily. Okay, so would you recommend people still do that or no? I still do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> there we go. If you still do it, I think it's good advice for the rest of us. Thank you very much. So, and that's awesome. How could people find out when that, that event is so that they could all go and get those uh, bolts put on at no cost? I think we advertise that on our um, websites that we have and okay. our community resource officers will usually push that out to like the city council office and their aides so they know and then we can get them out to the different uh, community pages and Facebook pages and stuff like that. Great. So like neighborhood um, or next door yes. com if people are on that and different websites like yeah. that. Great, okay. So yeah, that, thank you very much for that. It is definitely something that we recommend and something that we see so often that we just, uh, you know, we're glad to have the opportunity to come out, talk about it here with you and say, yeah, you know, that half an hour that you spend going around there might be really, it might be something that's really worthwhile. So <sighs> identity theft is something that we do see really regularly. And this is, this is a felony that I, I do charge, I would say, at least once a week. Um, 
or so. It, it, it is a financial crime and it's where someone uses your personal information. So that, that crime doesn't involve somebody actually having a card. It's not, it's not possession of your card. It's not stealing your card and it's not using your card. It's actually using your information. So that if somebody were to, um, to for instance, here you, you're on, say, again, this might be a, care, a caregiver for some people or a family member. Here you on the phone and you're making a payment to someone online and you're giving them that detail of your card. You're giving them the expiration date. What's the name on the card? And then they say, and give us the CVV number on the back of the card, that three-digit number. Anybody who gets that information can then make those remote purchases. So it's really important to guard that information. I think we're all more careful with our cards. We're like, oh, we've got to be careful where we put our credit card, right? But we also got to be careful about where we're talking about the information on our cards. So just remember that and try and try and just keep that in mind, bear that in mind. That information is just as good nowadays as having the card itself. You can, you can make those payments on the phone, you can make those payments over the internet. Your identity can be used really, really very, very easily, especially when that security number is, is out the back there, on the back there, is, is out there. So that is a class four felony, and that will, it does carry a prison sentence plus one year of parole, and it carries a big fine. Um, those are the maximum penalties that are applicable under the law for identity theft, and it is a crime that's taken seriously. And, and basically, we see from we see people doing this kind of opportunistically, but we also see professional identity thieves. Um, I, I was um, involved in a case where an 85-year-old actually had a guy moved moved into his basement. Um, he let him move in because he gave him a hard luck story, who was a professional identity thief. And that was really interesting to me because when we prosecuted him and when he was arrested, he had a briefcase. And it was just amazing how many people's personal information he had in there. So he had those things that I'm talking about. He had their social security number. He had their date of birth. And um, he had those card details if he could get it. And then he would set up online accounts. And uh, actually, that guy, even when he, he was on the FBI's white collar most wanted list, when he did go off to prison, he was very interested in getting the personal information of the other people he was in prison with. So he didn't kind of, <laughs> he didn't quit. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a habit. Okay, so we're just going to talk about, we've talked about this a little bit, you know, keeping safe in public. Um, I guess I, another thing that I would say to you that I see really frequently and more frequently than I'd like is distraction thefts. And this is kind of old school. So, you know, I see people nodding because you're aware of that. But, you know, it is still really, really easy for you to put down your purse somewhere and for somebody to start a conversation with you. And when you turn around, it's going to be gone. And I, I actually see that. I'm going to say, hmm, I would say once a fortnight. You guys would probably say once every two weeks. You understand what I mean. I see it regularly. And what, where I see it actually is at the airport a lot. There are a lot of um, distraction kind of thefts at the airport. People saying just, I, you know, I was putting my trash in. I was eating. I was put my trash in the bin. I turned back round. My phone was gone. Um, my wallet was gone. My purse was gone. So, you know, I know it's old school for me to be standing here saying, 
you know, ladies and gentlemen, be careful with your, your wallets and your purses. But really, that's still going on. Um, so if you, if you can have something that, I see one lady here with a, I can see the strap of her crossbody purse, that's a, you know, that's a, a couple of people. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yes, ma'am. I'm the kind of person who always leave my stuff there too, but I like to have a jacket. I have all kind of light jacket, heavier, zip, zippers. I never leave my wallet in my purse. So if they want to steal my purse, they, and they're not getting to get much of anything. And there's also some wallet that they, they call RFID that protects your credit card. I just found that out like a, when we went to Canada to visit the family. We bought a wallet and had that, so I changed mine to that too. It protects your credit cards and your other cards. Yeah, thank you for that. A great, great tip there. And RFID cards for anybody who, who doesn't know are those ones that have the little chips so that you don't, it's touchless credit card. You don't, not everybody's credit card is going to be a touchless card, but more and more are. And that means that if, yes, sir, if somebody's close by, they can, they can get your details. <laughs> okay, it's on. I wasn't planning on speaking today, but since you brought it up with the purses, even worse than the airport, uh, I used to teach a class on this same thing in my old apartment in Georgia. The supermarket is the absolute worst place for people, uh, women leaving their purses and carts. It's so easy to look up at something on the aisle. It takes three seconds for somebody to either grab your uh, pocketbook or your purse that's inside of it and just conceal it. And even if you turn around a few seconds later and you see the person, how do you know it's them? And you try and confront them, you don't feel like, well, maybe it's not them. So we see that a lot. I, and the easiest way for you to stop doing it yourself, I say the easiest way if you're in class and you're having a hard time falling asleep or staying awake, find somebody else that's falling asleep and that'll keep you awake because then you can watch them. But the easiest way for you to get better at that is to start looking when you go shopping. See how many people are leaving their purse right there in the cart. Count to yourself, you know, 1,001. And you could have had that thing and gone. So that'll make you more aware. Also, when you go to the gas pumps, uh, don't just leave your purse sitting on the passenger seat of the car and your car unlocked. People will drive right up, lean out of their car, open your door, and they got your purse before you even know what's going on. Thank you very much. Those are, those are great keep yourself safe tips. And can I just tag on the end of that? I, and I wasn't really, I guess I wasn't really there, but I'm, I'm going there now is to say that I, um, in my area at least, um, we've had a lot of problems with skimmers being attached to gas pumps. So uh, skim, by skimmer, what I'm going to just explain to you is, is a little device that go, goes either under or over the slot that you put your, your credit card in. And that um, they're available, you know, fairly cheaply, unfortunately, and they're, uh, they're able to record that information and then it can be downloaded, giving a lot of people's details. You know, when um, a large gang who were operating um, a fairly extensive operation uh, were arrested, one of the interesting things there was that they had um, hundreds of birthday cards on the floor of one of their cards. 
cars, and I can see you looking surprised, ma'am. And you know, it's no wonder, because it's weird. Why, you know, are they very genial and they like sending birthday cards to all our friends? No, they're not. But they do like going into Target and buying gift cards. And so if you, I guess if you do that hundreds of times to buy gift cards, it can look a little suspicious that you're just going and buying the gift cards. Your perfect cover is to buy the birthday card with the gift card. And so there, there were, um, literally stacks of, of uh, birthday cards in, in this vehicle, showing the number of times that this skimmed information had been, had been used. So let's move on a little bit. So yeah, we just talked about skimmers and, and ATMs. You know, we, we say to people, yeah, just be careful at the ATM. There's the, the regular crimes, I guess, that are, I want to call them common or garden, but please don't think that, that I mean if they, don't, if they happen to you that you feel like they're common or garden. It's a real um, violation to be victimized. And I, I really strongly feel that that applies to financial crimes as well as to physical crimes. You know, over the years that I've worked in this field, speaking to older people, I know that people lose sleep. They have no peace of mind. A lot of people lose hair. Um, are, are quite unwell as a result of being victimized financially. So it has really serious effects. Craigslist can be great, but you know we see a lot of scam activity, particularly in um, the rental field, where I just saw a survey last week where it said that um, in Denver, because they did a survey in Denver of a thousand people who were trying to rent through Craigslist, and almost 40% had, had encountered a fraudulent listing. I don't know what encountered means, but just under 10% had fallen for it and had given, given money. And I was surprised that it was as high as that. And then I realized, well, you know, Denver has people who are moving here. So they, they, they're moving from out of state. They don't really know the market, so they don't realize that this rent is ludicrous for the area. It's far too good to be true, right? And they also are very anxious because they think, well, I'm never going to be able to rent somewhere. Um, so this is a, a scam that you should pass on information to, to younger people, really, because it's they who are paying these deposits, paying these first month's rents, and then the property doesn't exist. Because as we see it, uh, the, those Craigslist rentals are often cut and paste from properties that are for sale on the market. So they look really realistic because there's lots of photographs of the property, but it's not for sale at all. So that's, that's a, a, a trend that we're seeing more and more. Data breach is so frustrating, right? You know, here we are all talking about steps to keep ourselves safe, and it's the large corporations and, and uh, government agencies who, who are responsible for the hugest data breaches, and social media, I guess, has been in the news recently. We talked about the distraction scams, and then this morning my investigator told me, I, I emailed him at six, he emailed me back and said, I'm, I'm going out, he's, he's following um, uh, a construction scam uh, this morning. So, you know, we are, we are working to shut down that type of operation where, where it exists. And ATMs, we say, you know, yeah, use the ATM at the bank. Use the, use the ATM that's in, uh, it, it's in an area where there's a, maybe cameras in a store where there's a lot of traffic. We say try and avoid using ATMs at, we, we say gas stations, sir, I don't know if you say the same. Um, 
for law enforcement, I don't know if that's your advice, we say the, the less foot trafficked, and if it's in a kind of convenience store or something like that, we say just those probably carry a little bit of a, a higher risk of having some kind of skimmer attached. So I think that what, what I see is that this is still the, the fastest growing um, type of crime that, that we have. In between January and June of this year, I received 800, over 800, 820 approximately reports of crimes committed against seniors and folks with disabilities, which is a really heartbreakingly high number. And I would tell you that a significant number of those are their reports of people losing sums of money. And when I say losing money, I'm not talking about generally talking about losing two or three hundred bucks. Um, yesterday I went and met with somebody elderly who, uh, who lost $20,000. And um, that was in, in, in a one transaction. Um, and this was, let me just say that this was not a person who has any impairment. It was a person who was taken. Um, so, you know, once that's gone, you can't get it back. Uh, and um, that can really wipe out somebody's retirement savings, really wipe them out. And so it, it's very pernicious, and it's coming to people through the internet and through calls, so, so please be very cautious. Work with your families if, you're, if you have families that you get on with and you trust. Work with them to make sure that your virus protection is, is up to date. Because this is really um, so, just so prolific. And I think the, the intercontinental um, crime that we talked about is not going to go away because there's such uh, a divergence between rich and poor in the world. And whereas we may think, well, we don't have, we're not millionaires. We don't have a lot, but there are people who just basically have nothing, and so they're, they're trying to get whatever they can. Yes, sir. I was just wondering, are you partnering with uh, financial institutions, and, and what are you doing specifically to help folks that are you know, made starting out this process? Because $20,000, not necessarily in somebody's house, it's in a bank or what have you. Yes, we are, and um, so some some banks are more receptive to DA and law enforcement training than than others. I'll be honest with you. Next week, for instance, I will meet with um, a large group of financial planners. But it's important that you guys know that since 2014, the law changed. So the law now requires anybody who is in the financial services industry who has a person over the age of 70 and they have a, a suspicion, they have reasonable cause to believe that that person is being exploited, they must make a report. So of the reports that I mentioned to you, actually a good proportion of those come from banks and other financial institutions. Every day I will have, I would say, at least one from a bank. So the banks are, have really taken it on board and it's not to say that, that you know, we couldn't do better. But I think there is a big change in how banks will view transactions of, of a large denomination or even of a smaller denomination if they feel that there might be coercion. So I think banks are looking at situations where people come in and they have someone with them who's doing the talking for them, who seems to be maybe a little bit overbearing. And, and also if someone's trying to get a power of attorney signed and they have concerns about that. So I think banks are doing their bit to try to prevent financial fraud of seniors. And, and I hope to see that increase. 
and we will work to see it increase. Yes, ma'am. This is just something that I wanted to share with everybody because one of the things that the police officer told me is that statistics are once you become a victim of um, identity theft, the chances of you continue being a victim is more than I think 60 or 70 percent. And this is just something, um, I don't know if you can see this, but on my phone every morning um, these calls come in, it says scam lightly and it starts probably about six o'clock. Mm -hmm. So once I became a victim of identity theft, it seems like it's, it's never started. And just to briefly share with you guys, uh, probably about three years ago, uh, when you was t touching as far as insurance is concerned, and this is very important, is that I had um, dental insurance and my dentist had told me, I went in just you know, to get your routine x-rays, and she says, Teresa, you have some cavities and you have this going on, and I'm just like everybody else, I'll get to it, I don't like going to the dentist, I'm not making it a priority, until one morning I woke up and the pain was going down my neck and I had to get to the dentist. Went into the dentist, sat in the chair, and well, the first thing that when you walk in, they say, do you have your same insurance? Yes, I have my same insurance. And then they started numbing me so that, you know, I had to have a root canal. And so all of, all of a sudden, the insurance person, she didn't walk into the room. She runs into the room and she says, stop, 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 stop. I just called your insurance and you have spent all your, the rest of the insurance. You don't have any insurance. You've, you spent it. Okay. And I said, no, I only went to the dentist just one time. Okay, anyway, long story short, basically because I have identity theft, and it's like now just about everybody needs to have some kind of identity theft. I was sitting in the chair, I contacted the identity, my identity theft person immediately. They had uh, my dentist to e email over my um, x-rays of my, my mouth, and then they had taken the x-rays of the person who they paid, used my insurance to pay, and the two, in, the two policies, I mean, x-rays did not match. So therefore, immediately they had to, you know, issue me back my, uh, my insurance, because if not, I would have had to come out of pocket some $2,000. Thank you for that. So that's actually, thank you for sharing that story, and I'm sorry that that happened to you, but that is a really great example of um, a, a theft that, that is being carried out regularly and through your insurance, and you have absolutely no idea about it. And ma'am, you have a question. And steal your identity because I had that happen to me, and I had told the post office that I th thought somebody was steaming open my mail and they didn't do anything. But then all of a sudden, Wells Fargo calls me and tells me that someone had gone shopping on my credit card and had charged all this uh, stuff to Neiman Marcus. So can they do that too? Go through your mail to get... Yeah. Thank you. And yes, that's, that's very unlucky. I think that mail, mail theft and also porch piracy um, uh, are increasing. And by porch piracy, I mean if someone gets a package delivered, that there are people going around and picking up those packages before, um, you know, before folks get there and, and uh, pick up their own packages. So one of the things that I wanted to just share with you is that um, we see, uh, let's see if this will work. We see sweetheart scams operating a lot, and those are some of the most successful in getting the most money from people. 
so we might need to turn up the speakers a little bit. Had fallen for a professional oh, thank scam. You. Carol shared her, shared her story with Nine News crime and justice reporter Anastasia Bolton. I know many people that talk about love. Love letters are romantic and dreaming that love requires no proof or expression, but it demands to feel it. And hopeful, love is hopeful for the future. Love is an emotion so strong that you would give up everything. Carol, we'll call her Carol, needed some hope, some companionship. Because I was lonely, I'd lost my husband over a year ago. So the seven-year-old went online to find what many of us are looking for. I started falling for him and he was giving me all these stories, you know, and he never asked for money. She met a man who told her he was a finance guy from France. Two to three times a day, emails twice a day, morning and night. And after three months of this, he offered her an investment opportunity. 205000 It's a lot of money. It's everything I had, basically. Because I was sure I was going to get it back within a few days. The rest of the story, you know, Carol could have written herself. I got taken. What can I say? It was stupid. There were a lot of red flags. Telling her kids you know, just, was the hardest. It was really hard because I knew I was disappointing them and appearing desperate. But I didn't want them to think that I needed money from them or anything. I mean, I'm okay. Um, I just don't have the security blanket I used to have. So it was hard. Probably harder than losing the money. <laughs> telling them. She wants to share her story, but she's too embarrassed to show her face. All I can say is, don't do it. <laughs> listen to your gut. If I'd only listened to my gut, it, it spoke to me many times, and I didn't listen. Anastasia Bolton, Nine News. I guess at the time I wanted to be loved. I missed my husband. I missed being. Oh. Uh, it, it touches you in so many levels. She yeah. shouldn't be embarrassed because it happened so many, but you can understand why. And we're glad that she spoke to Anastasia. Yes. Sweetheart scams can cost victims anywhere from a few hundred dollars to, as you can hear, uh, you just heard, hundreds of thousands. And sometimes the victims refuse to believe they've been taken. They really want to believe that they found love. So we have resources to hopefully educate you and others on 9news.com. I think most importantly is if you think you're, you're being taken advantage of, talk to friends and family about mm -hmm. it because it. so often they're able to say, yeah, that sounds a little weird. Even call police. Sometimes they have some, some mm -hmm. thoughts on those too. All right, go to 9news.com for those tips. And over my career, I've seen literally hundreds of those. And I would say that people do divide up into two um, separate groups. There are those who are just so embarrassed that they, this was a report to our office, um, that are so embarrassed that they don't want to, to come forward or in this case, this lady bravely shared her story for the benefit of other people. But the other tranche of people are people who, even confronted with the evidence, are not going to believe it. And you would, you would be horrified. There are people who insist that they're going to continue to send money even when presented with really cold hard evidence that this is, this is a scam. They won't believe it. They think their family is against them. And uh, so that, that's a tough situation. Ma'am. One of my friends had this guy move in with her and he started fixing on her house and she was in love with him and then he said he wanted half the equity in her house. She had no choice. When they went to court, the court gave him half because of the little work he had did on the house. 
And so, you know, that, that's a really sad situation. I'm sorry to hear about that. It's, it's really difficult to, when we get a little snapshot, to, to kind of pick apart why did that happen and why, you know, why was that judgment made. Um, but it, they're really, really tricky situations. And, and if you know of friends or family in that situation, it's really important um, to let, let that person know that you think there's something suspicious. So these are, I guess, um, some of the most common that we would, I, again, we would see these on a daily, weekly basis. So I just want to go through them so that everybody can tell their friends and family that, that lottery scams are still terribly, terribly common. You're going to be asked to pay an upfront fee of maybe taxes or some kind of surcharge before you get the huge winnings, but the huge winnings will never come. The grandkid in trouble, I, I have a... a I actually have a video of a victim that I was hoping to show you today, but um, I haven't been able to, to connect here. A, a victim who was completely fooled went and bought um, iTunes gift cards, $4,000 of iTunes gift cards, because he thought that his grandkid was in trouble. Sweetheart scams we've, t we've spoken about. A warrant for your arrest, that's to make people scared, to make them rush into doing something. The IRS scam is, we're, we're not quite in the season, but it'll be here before long. Um, calls, threatening calls, you know, threatening calls are really nasty. And sometimes they'll start out pretty friendly, and then if people refuse to cooperate, refuse to give money, they, they will get even more threatening. Recently, however, I want to mention this last one, because recently this is one of the newer and more common ones that I've seen. And this lady's nodding, so you, maybe you've, you've heard about it. Yeah. Let me give you the microphone because I think this is a new. It was a new one to me. Um, go ahead. I finally called Microsoft, but I was on my computer at the time. They said um, your computer crashed. Um, we're going to refund your money of $199.99. And I looked at my computer and said, I don't think so. But um, I did call Microsoft, and they said that it was a scam and to just hang up. But I also called security and made sure that they were aware of it. Because if it was early in the morning, I probably would have been waking up and saying, yeah, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> The way that, that thank you. The way and the way that that goes down. If you if you kind of cooperate with it. Sorry, mum. I'll give this to you, and then I'll loop back. Okay. I think you may be able to address that one. And when you say refund from company, because I know I received one um, advertising from Pepsi, say they wanted to reach out and Dr Pepper. They wanted to reach out, and if you would wrap your car, you know, you get five hundred dollars a week. And so then in a few days, I received this check in the mail for $2,700. And the letter said, take your 500 and deposit the rest. So I said, OK, I'm, I'm going to play this. And so I, I told them that I had, you know, and I had my 500. They said, well, how much money do you have in the bank now? I said, no, it's how much do you have? Do you have enough to, for that check to clear? They said, oh, no, no, the check won't bounce. And so anyway, I never did deposit it, and I just took it to and asked my bank about it. And she told me, no, that's a scam. They get your check, and then it goes back and bounces, and you owe the bank. 
That's right, and um, thank you. And you know, um, I've had a couple of people go ask their bank, and then their bank actually said, "Yeah, the check is good," and the person lost money that way. So that's a good warning. The, but the other, the other one that I want to just. The, play at the end of the refund from the company is that you you may be told your virus protection software, con the company contract is being cancelled, you're going to get a refund on this. And what they, the caller will then say is that they have accidentally transferred too much into your account and uh, will say, oh no, I'm going to lose my job, you know, would you help me out here? And we'll ask you to go get the, the balance. So they'll say they've transferred more. So for instance, if, if you're getting $200 or so, they'll say, well, actually, uh, you know, I've, I've transferred $10,000. Could you pay me 9800 back so that I don't lose my job? And again, that, that's, you know, that's one that can easily, in, in an urgent situation, can, in, can easily fox people. You know, the Nigerian prince, I'm hoping he'll come over here someday. I'd like to meet him. <laughs> the, the funniest thing was I did some research into that, and I discovered that that's, a really, that's like a really old scam, because I guess some of these have been circulating for hundreds of years, right? And they had some letters about a Spanish prince. So a long time ago, it was a Spanish prince who was imprisoned, and you could help, help, get, help him regain his fortune by contributing to his, his release. So, yeah. We'd all like to meet him, sir. Yes, I want to share with the community about, in terms of coming from a real estate perspective, if you know of anyone who's buying a home, you're there getting scammed by wire fraud in terms of what they need to bring to closing. And you have scammers out there that, has, that will capture the home buyer's email and send them an email saying that the title company is instructing you to wire your closing funds to this account. And it's not true. So I don't know if you've been seeing that, but in real estate, it's been, that's one of the highest levels of scams right now is the wire fraud for a closing settlement. And so I encourage, if you know of anybody who's, look, who's buying a house and at closing, call the title company themselves. They will tell you how much they need to bring to closing. And since I'm in real estate, I just got to say this. No, please do. I think these are great tips for I've everyone. I've been working with senior homeowners that these scammers, you would get mail, you would get mail at your house, and it looks like it's coming from your mortgage company. The, uh, the, the graphics, the logo, and what's been happening, they're saying, they know that you're paying a mortgage, and they were saying, now your loan has been transferred. You pay us at this address. Please don't do that. Call your mortgage company to verify if your loan has been transferred. So it's, it's incredible. It's a lot going on right now. There really is. And thank, thank you. Great tips as well. You know, I, I don't know how much time we've got left. And I, I, um, I apologize to folks who are watching on Channel 8 that I know we've been skipping around with lots of people um, adding to the discussion. But I think it is really important. And I really appreciate it because I think it's only by hearing from other members of our own community that we really know what's happening in our neighborhood, that we really know what's happening in our city, and that we, we work to best protect ourselves. So um, I'm I'm just going to finish up here um, by just just uh, letting letting you know, I guess, finally what what we can do for you. So um, we do have folks who uh, we've I've put some resources on the table here, and we have folks who actually answer the phone, real people, not a phone tree. Isn't that amazing? 
So we, ha we have real folks who are there to deal with your problems every day during the week. And if you have concerns that something's a fraud, then you can check it out with them. If you're sure that you've been defrauded, you can call them. Obviously, you can also call local law enforcement, but maybe sometimes you want to talk to somebody who's in the DA's office who's a fraud specialist. So we're there to do that sort of work for you. Also, we can sometimes get rapid solutions to situations. So I can't, I can't promise that happens in every case, but I will tell you that um, when, we look in, when we start looking into a situation, it's amazing to me that, that that will sometimes resolve things very swiftly because they know that we're looking at the situation. So, you know, we're, we are super motivated to meet with the community. So for any of you who also are members of other groups and you would like to, um, to in, invite us to come work with your group and to come talk to your group, we'd love to do that. We really would love to do that. As you can, you might not be able to see, but I think I've only got through about a quarter of my presentation this morning. But I think it's really more important, as I said, that, that we, we, talk, we talk about things. But there is a lot more, I guess, where this came from. And it's sad, right? It's sad that there's so many different scams that we are, we're needing to take more than, than this time, simply to get through the most frequent ones um, for people. So just once again, thank you to Councilwoman Gilmore. Thank you to all of you for coming out. I hope it's been something that's been useful to you, and it's been a, a delight to be here. Thanks. Well, thank you, Jane. We really appreciate you being here. And Mr. Poole, yes, I think you have a microphone right, right there. I don't need a microphone. Okay. I'd just like to thank your office. Oh, I, th I think they still want you to use the microphone here so we can make sure that, and that's always okay to repeat. Okay. No. I just want to thank you, uh, Councilwoman Gilmore, uh, for, uh, for putting this on uh, with Mrs. Ann White uh, from Montbello 2020 because uh, this is needed. More of this is needed because it's all, I mean, you know, it's amazing. I was just listening to this lady here talk about, you know, the game this man pulled and I asked her, is he alive yet? She said the lady didn't have a gun. <laughs> Uh, well, well, we definitely thank you, Mr. Well, Poole, and, and thank you for everybody being here this morning. And, and I would be remiss if I did not sincerely thank uh, Montbello 2020 and Montbello Walks and the Golden Age Club for getting um, you here and getting the word out. Montbello 2020 is a registered neighborhood organization and very active in the neighborhood. And I know that there's other groups out there as well that we just need to get this info out to the broader community. And then the Colorado Trust also provided our breakfast and refreshments this morning. And Montbello Walks is an organization that also is very active in the neighborhood. And they get seniors out and keep you active. And so at the end of the day, when we start talking about what our next steps are, I, what I got out of um, Jane's presentation is you need to verify. If someone calls you and nothing is ever that urgent and it's okay to take those folks information down and hang up the phone, don't give them any information and turn around and call the district attorney's office, call our council office, call the non-emergency police number and start asking questions. And so verify, verify, verify and this is the first of a series of Montbello Speaks speakers bureaus that we're going to be facilitating in the neighborhood and so look for other topics that we're going to talk about if you have ideas of topics that you would like to have an expert
expert come in and share information, and we want to keep this a conversation. So always back and forth, because what you're asking today and the answers that are being recorded, this is going to go out on channel eight and get out to the broader community. And so I thank you for being the leaders that you are in the Montbello community and District 11, and we will keep this going. So thank you.